0: So let's jump right into our text today as we're continuing our sermon series this fall from the life of Jacob, Jacob's journey with God. And uh, we're calling this a disciple's life, the blessing and the limp. So Genesis chapter 28, beginning to read in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Stairway to heaven. Here's the first takeaway for us today. No matter where God takes you, he is with you. It's that simple. No matter where God takes you, he is with you. There's a story often told on the internet, true or not, I I don't know, I can't verify, about a 34-year-old woman named Susan. She lost her sight due to a medical misdiagnosis. And she fell into a very deep depression. Once fiercely independent, now she could not function. Her husband, Mark, suffered along with her. Mark loved his wife, and he was determined to help her, so he worked with her on each of the skills needed for her to return to independent living. After many months, Susan decided she was ready, she could return to work. Every day, Mark, an Air Force officer, would drive his wife to work, walk her into the office, make sure she was settled, and then leave to go to work at his base across town and then pick her up at the end of the day. This went on for several weeks, but for reasons of distance, cost, time, it couldn't go on that way forever. Mark told Susan that she would have to learn to take the bus. But I can't ride the bus to work, she cried. I'm blind, how am I going to know the route, the stairs on the bus, the path to take? I feel like you're abandoning me. Well, just as he had done from the very beginning, Uh, Mark promised that he would do whatever it took to help her until she felt confident and independent to ride the bus. He helped her with the routes. He helped her to learn the number of the stairs up and down in the bus, the paths to take. And finally, after two weeks of practice, Susan faced the journey alone one Monday morning. During the events in our passage today, I think Jacob felt like Susan. He was a homebody. The Bible says he preferred staying among the tents. He was not your wild-at-heart, adventurous kind of guy. But now he's on the run. His brother Esau was planning to kill him for tricking him out of God's blessing. So as a result, Jacob, Jacob had taken off with nothing but his walking stick and the clothes on his back. And I think probably guilt for all the trouble he had caused at home. The text tells us that Jacob was heading for Haran, the place God had told his grandfather Abraham to leave. That's where the relatives were. It was nearly 600 miles north of his home in Beersheba, a journey of maybe a month or so. And he was all alone, looking nervously over his shoulder. Is Esau coming after me? He had a long, frightening journey ahead of him and a very uncertain future. He soon bedded down for the night in a desolate, rocky place. And maybe you're in the same kind of situation as Jacob, stuck in a dark, lonely night, filled with uncertainty. You go to your first AA meeting. You have an appointment with the attorney. You're in the hospital room or the empty house. You just got the pink slip. You're stuck in endless depression. All these places are desolate places. Maybe, like Jacob, it's your own fault that you're in that desolate place. Maybe it's not. But either way, you're out there alone, on your own. But are you? Are you really? Let's go back to the story of Susan. Susan made her way to work on the bus that Monday morning, on her own, and every day... For a week. On that Friday morning at the end of the week, Susan made her way onto the bus again, but as she went to pay her fare, the bus driver said, ma'am, I envy you. Susan was startled. She said, are you talking to me? What do you mean? The driver replied, every morning for the past week, a fine-looking gentleman in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you when you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross the street safely and he watches you until you enter your office building. He never takes his eyes off you. Then he blows you a kiss, gives you a little salute, and walks away. You are one lucky lady. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. For Jacob, that promise became real on that dark night in a lonely place. He falls asleep on one of the most barren, rocky, God-forsaken places on earth, a hillside that looks like the dark side of the moon. Could there have been a lonelier place on earth that night? Exhausted, he's been on the run, he falls asleep. Then he starts to dream, and bam, God pulls back the curtain of the night, and it's like a celestial grand central station with God at the top of an escalator packed with angels going up and down. The drama of it is recorded in verses 10 through 13 as we just read. You could roughly translate it in a more modern version like this. He had a dream. Look at that. A stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And there, look! The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And do you see that? Above it stood the Lord. In other words, God was there. And God had fixed his love on Jacob, just as he has fixed his love on you, if your faith is in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and the boss of you. What Jacob learned that night is still true for those whom God blesses, those whom God forgives, No matter where life takes you, God is with you. He is nearer than you imagine. We lose sight of that. I know I do. I had the kind of week where I completely lost sight of the nearness of God at times. Monday, it was a great start to the week. I had a great time of prayer and worship with the Lord. It really felt like heaven to me. But then came Tuesday and Wednesday. A couple days when some ministry things bottomed out on me, leaving me feeling that I was all alone, on my own, and if anything was going to get done, it was up to me, it was all on me. I had to do it, and woe is me. That's one of my default dark places. Self-pity combined with self-sufficiency. It's a really toxic mix. And it didn't dawn on me until Wednesday afternoon that this text, that I'd been working on. You ever studied the Bible and not really saw what was there? <laughs> and it, Wednesday afternoon, it just hit me, this is the reality that I need. So I was able to get God's perspective again. But then came Thursday and Friday with a couple of personal mishaps, a broken car window and a leaking washing machine that we got fixed, but neither were fixed right and they still aren't. Again, I felt like, you know, I'm an orphan in a dark and lonely place. Nobody wants to really help. They just pretend to, Have You ever done that? And then this morning, I fell down part of our staircase at home. It's a tough week. I feel pretty beat up this morning. And I think you know what that kind of week feels like, don't you? But throughout the week, God brought me back again and again into the realm of greater things and more important matters. So over the course of this past week, with all its ups and downs, I came to see that God was as near to me on all those hard days and difficult events as he had been during that heaven-on-earth devotional time that I had on Monday. And among other things, I, I'm now convinced that he was preparing me to know what I was talking about when I preached this message. I already thought I knew what I'd be talking about. Well, I did I did And he was preparing my heart to receive once again the comforting truth that no matter where life takes me or what life does to me, on any given day, God is always near, so close by much nearer than I imagined. I really do think there was an angel or two that caught me on that staircase this morning. It's like the scripture says, there is one who sticks closer than a brother, and that one is Jesus. So Jacob sleeps and dreams in this dark and lonely place. Now, most dreams are windows into our own heads, right? They're kind of crazy. You know, what happened today, what's coming up tomorrow, unsettled things, you know, that are occupying our thoughts. But Jacob's dream that night, that was a window into another dimension. And he saw in his dream a reality that we're not equipped to see with our physical eyes. That God is actually near us. He's right here with us. You know, when we say God is with me, That concept can be a bit vague. But here in our text, we get a look at what God's presence with us is actually like, if only we could see it. Jacob thought he had stumbled into a unique holy place that no one knew about. The one secret passageway from heaven to earth and back. In verse 17, he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. We would have built a shrine there or something. But the stairway from heaven was there. Why? Because Jacob was there, and God was with Jacob, and so the stairway to heaven. Do you see that? There is, you might say, a stairway from God to wherever you are if God is with you. It's not a unique place. It's the place you are because God is with you. When Jesus was choosing his disciples at the beginning of his ministry, he met a man named Nathanael, and Jesus astonished Nathanael by telling him that he had seen him under a tree before they had even met each other. And here's their exchange from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 49 to 51. Then Nathanael declared, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel.'" Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is that? (laughs) That's a direct reference to Jacob's ladder. Jesus is telling Nathaniel that he will have a Jacob's ladder experience. Jacob's dream confirmed to Jacob that God was with him. And as we'll see as we go on in our text, that that Jacob would be the bearer of God's blessing to the whole world. Jesus is telling Nathanael that he was going to see proof that Jesus is greater than Jacob. (laughs) Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. Jesus, the son of God, is the one and only ladder between God and you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, all the time. And what's more, the rest of the New Testament shows us how Jesus became that ladder leading straight from God to us. The text speaks of the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. God's stairway leads to you Because Jesus is with you. He came for you. He he walked among us. He went to the cross. God with us. Jesus is with you. And Jesus is the ladder, the stairway, the gate from heaven to earth to bring you to God and to bring God to you every day. He's the reason the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has come down to earth. He's walked where we walk. He's faced what we face, and he did it all without sin and went to a cross as a sacrifice for us to bring us back to God. If only we will put our trust in him and take him as our savior. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know what, you can can mount the stairs to God's throne anytime you need to, anytime you want to, So come boldly in Jesus Christ. We know from these texts that God's angels travel his stairway to your life. At first I puzzled over those angels going up and down the steps. Was that just for show to kind of make an impression on Jacob? No, I don't think so. They were the messengers and the servants of God in this world. Angels in disguise had been the ones to bring God's message of hope to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And then in Abraham's day, angels were the ones who delivered Lot and his family from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think the angels Jacob saw on the stairs were the angels dispatched by God to guard his life. 20 years later, when Jacob finally parts with his uncle Laban in Genesis 32, verses 1 and 2, the text says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Consider also Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that You will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, That was fulfilled in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ and is now applied to us. Hebrews 1 verse 14 asks, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you. Believer in Jesus, that's you. God sends his angels to protect and guide you and me, his sons and daughters, as surely as he did for Jacob. I would put it this way. God himself watches over you at the top of the stairs. He is there at the top of the stairs, and he sends his angels as he wills. And we saw last week that Jacob said, he, he, in his blessing over his grandsons, he talked about the angel who has delivered me from all harm. and We talked about how that's the Holy Spirit. You know, the Lord who stands at the top of the stairs speaks to Jacob. And as great as that vision of God was, the promises he spoke were an even greater gift. These particular promises identified Jacob as the man through whom God would build a great nation of his people and from whom the Messiah would come one day. I want you to notice God's promise then in verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Just as it was for Jacob, God's promises are our refuge and our strength. Throughout our lives, this is the promise of God that will sustain us. I am with you. It's the great covenant promise. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. The first phrase, I am with you, promises God's presence, while the second phrase, I will watch over you, assures us of God's protection. If there is a more often repeated assurance in the Bible, I can't think what it is. I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. I am with you. It is what God told Jacob's father, Isaac, and it is what God would tell Jacob's son, Joseph. It is what God told Moses when he sent him to deliver Israel from Egypt. And it is is what God told the children of Israel when he led them out. I am with you. It is what God told Joshua when it was his calling to take hold of the promised land. It is what God told Gideon when he faced a Midianite army too big to count. I am with you. It is what God promised the chastened Israelites in their exile. I am with you. It is what God promises you in the blessing he first gave to Aaron to pronounce over the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's what Jesus promised his disciples as he returned to heaven. Surely I am with you always, he said, to the very end of the age. It's what the apostle Paul said promised us in Romans chapter 28, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I am with you, says the Lord. And there's one more great promise from God in verse 15. It says to Jacob, and I will bring you back to this land. It took 20 years. But God did bring Jacob back home. Many years later, Jacob would die in Egypt, but his sons brought Jacob's bones home to the land God had promised him. And just as we have a better staircase than Jacob saw, so we have a better promised land, don't we? Heaven. A home that Jesus is preparing for us, for all who trust in him. We have this promise. No matter where life takes you, God will bring you home. For us, it is the new heavens and the new earth where where life runs in the rivers and grows on the trees. And light never again gives way to the night. That's where we're headed. I think we all have a yearning for a home we have not yet found, don't we? C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Have you ever felt that way? That you were made for another world? I have. I know you have. We were made and redeemed for another world. So no matter where your journey takes you in this life, no matter how desolate or lonely, or far from home, God is with you. Follower of Jesus, God is with you, and God will bring you home. The way Jacob responded to his dream is an important part of this story, and we're going to look at it very briefly. It leads us to the other takeaway for us today. How are we going to respond? Well, here it is. Vow that the Lord will be your God. Vow that the Lord will be your God. In verses 18 through 22, Jacob builds an altar and makes a vow. So first the altar. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. So Jacob takes that stone pillow upon which he had somehow managed to sleep. I don't know how he did that. He must have been dead tired to sleep, not just like a rock, but on a rock. That's that's not easy. And then he even managed to dream. Well, he turns that stone pillow into a stone altar the next morning when he wakes up. He sets it up as a monument to the Lord, which would serve as a reminder of what happened in that place, what God had said, and what Jacob was about to say in response. And by the way, there's a link in verse 18 to a hymn we sang last Sunday. So let me just click on that link for a minute and go down a side road for a minute. Uh, the hymn is, Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Uh, when I was a boy growing up in our little country church in Northern California, our new pastor loved that hymn. And when we had a hymn sing, he said, Let's sing, every, let, let's sing something that everybody knows. Come Thou found. Well, of course, nobody knew that hymn. I'd never heard it before. Everybody knows. Come Thou found." Yeah. I didn't know it. I didn't know it until he made us sing it all the time. I noticed that new people would look at each other puzzled when he would call, you know, he would call for Come Thou found" as a hymn that everybody knew. He kept doing it his whole ministry. The point of my mentioning this hymn here is the opening line of verse 2. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Have you sung that like a dozen times and you didn't know what that meant? <laughs> Here I raise my Ebenezer. As a kid, I thought, what's an Ebenezer? Do I have one? <laughs> how, how do I get one? You know, Nobody explained it to me. So what's an Ebenezer? No, it's not Ebenezer Scrooge from Dickens' Christmas Carol. Ebenezer means, in the Hebrew, stone of help. It's very simple, stone of help. That's what it means. It's a way of saying, here I'm setting up a stone monument as a tribute and a reminder of God's help. That God met me here. That God helped me here. Let me not forget. Let this stone remind me and tell others about God's help. That's an Ebenezer. So, next time we sing that hymn and we sing, here I raise my Ebenezer, you'll know what it's talking about. It's about raising up, setting up, A stone of help. Okay? Now, we don't build physical stone altars anymore. Maybe some of you do. I don't. But I begin to wonder whether maybe we should in some way. Maybe that's one reason we forget how God has helped us. You know, what would it mean? What would it look like for you to build altars, stones of help, as reminders of how God met you, how God helped you? Could be a plaque on a wall, piece of art in your home, a tattoo on your body, a journal entry you write down, something simple you draw, a pile of rocks in your yard, something you would see, and it would remind you how God helped you, that Jesus has done great things for you and will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a stone of help. So first, Jacob builds an altar, and then he makes a vow, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. Is it just me... Or does that vow sound like Jacob is still hedging his bets? Did you catch that? If God will, then I will. (laughs) Knowing Jacob, that sounds about right. Keeping his options open. What about you? Given God's great promises to you, fulfilled in Jesus, the stairway to heaven, will you vow that the Lord will be your God? Or will you hedge your bets and keep your options open just in case the God doesn't come through and you have to take matters into your own hands? That's the way of Jacob. It's often been my way. Will you vow that the Lord will be your God? Will you vow never to forget how near God is to you because of Christ? Will you close your eyes often And remember, visualize how near are the stairs of God. How attendant are the angels to your care. How closely God watches over you. How Jesus is God with you. And the Spirit is God dwelling within you. Will you remember God's promise in all your most desolate places in life? I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Will you vow to give God the credit for all the care he shows you, for the food and clothing he provides, for the safety of your journey, for his presence in times of trouble and danger? Will you give him the glory for always being your spiritual home? You're you're never homeless. You have a spiritual home. For the promise that one day he will get you home, he will bring you to that bright land he has promised And is preparing for you? Will you vow to give God a tribute, a tithe, a tenth, from all that He has given you? All this, all this, this is what will help you to not forget, but to remember. All this so that you will never forget that all the blessings of your life, all the blessings of your life are from Him. And that you are indebted, you owe your very life to him. You are indebted to his love for you, which sustains you. And that he is your king. Or will you hedge your bets and say, if God will do this, then I will do that. What will it be? Amen?